Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Wonderful, guys. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor. My wife, Ebony, on the leadership with the incredible Eric and Heather Berga. Um, yeah, we'd love to get to know you if we haven't met yet. Uh, this morning is, uh, we're going to pause, uh, we've been pausing actually for a couple weeks, but we're going to continue our pause on the series that we've been in going through Matthew, the king and his kingdom. We've been exploring uh, all things related to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Today is going to be, I mean, we could literally, we could insert today's message in that series, but not necessarily where we are in Matthew. The reason we're pausing is for multiple reasons. Um, one, I've, God's been like working on this message in me for a while now. And I've been really trying to discern, okay, God, when? When's the time? And I, I mean, Herrick, we're processing this. Um, I feel like this morning's the morning. And so uh, we're going to pause our series, like I said, and brace yourself. Uh, brace yourself. This morning's going to be kind of heavy, okay? But all that being said, I'm convinced because of the work that I feel like God's doing in me, deep in my soul, sanctifying me, changing me, making me more like Jesus. That's a difficult process. Uh, the, a, a, a life of faith, we're all on a journey, okay? Uh, we're all on a journey of discerning what it looks like for us to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every area of life. That's what discipleship is. Um, and if you're here, you're at least somewhat interested in being a disciple, a follower, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus. That's what we're giving ourselves to. Um, and all of us have a unique story. All of us have a unique journey that we're on and what it looks like to surrender more and more of our life to his lordship. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, he can't really be an accessory. He's, he's not like, uh, you know, like a necklace that you put on or a bracelet or a ring that you put on sometimes with different outfits. Like he's not an accessory, right? Like he's either Lord or he's not. And thankfully, he's so incredibly patient with us He's so incredibly gracious to us and loving to us, consistently inviting us to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness, to enjoy the reality of his presence. If we would just slow down enough, we have access to the maker of the universe. I heard a pastor recently say, you have a direct line to the Oval Office of Heaven. And I was like, that's profound. We're all on a unique faith journey. Some of you guys, most, uh, many of you guys have heard parts of my story. Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, later on in my teen years, my parents, they, this is a remarkable shift where they reoriented their life around Jesus. 
And it had a profound impact on my household. So I'm a late teen, this happens. It, it forever changed the trajectory of all of our lives. And if I'm honest, like, I'm really thankful to my folks for a lot. They were very, they were very generous growing up. They were very kind growing up. They were like faithful parents. There's no, there's no perfect parents, but they were, they were a good mom and dad. I'm grateful to them for a lot. But what I'm most grateful to them for is their commitment to Jesus. By far. Uh, parents, if I can just talk to you for a second before I jump into things, there is no greater gift that you can give your kids than you following Jesus. I mean, as parents, like, we want to give our kids everything, don't we? Like, all the best experiences. We, we, want, to, we want to set them up for success in life. Like, we, we, want, to, we want to bless them we want to guard them. We want to protect them. We want to provide for them their needs, whether it's finances or whatever, right? We want to give them wonderful memories like the vacations and the trips and all these awesome, wonderful, cool things, all the extracurricular activities, you know, especially here in the suburbs, like all the sports, all the arts, all these really, really cool things. But hear me, as much as we want to gift our kids these wonderful things, there's no greater gift that you can give your kids than you following Jesus, I think so oftentimes we think if they just had the right social connections, like if they just kind of had those, you know, like those kind of worldly advantages, you know, like that privilege, if we could just kind of position them politically in their community that maybe they could have a one, like, if we could just give them like world-class experiences that would, that would shape them, right? Or if we just invested enough in sort of the athletic thing or the, or the academic thing, they could maybe get that full ride scholarship and it's just like all, all these things. Friends, those are, those are fine, but there's no greater gift that as parents we could give our kids than you and I following Jesus. Why? Why? Because some things are eternal and some things are not. Uh, I remember as a young boy, you ever think, like, reflect on your life and, and there's some, like, standout Christmas gifts that you get? Uh, I remember getting a bike, when I, my first bike when I was young and driving around the cul-de-sac when we lived in, uh, in Tustin. But whenever I think about, like, it's Christmas time, right? So whenever I think about, like, previous Christmases, I, I tend to kind of connect them with different gifts. It probably shows how materialistic I am. Sorry about that, but it's true. And I remember uh, one year, there was, uh, I forget how old I was, early 90s. And does anybody remember the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner? Yes. Give me a show of hands. Dude, every little, like I was a little boy, every little boy, I'm like walking around, like pulling arrows out of my back. And, <laughs> but so you guys are familiar with Nerf. It's like the, the, the toys, right? Nerf that year came out with what was called a Nerf bow and arrow. If you know, you know. Any other guys as a kid want the Nerf bow and arrow? A handful of you. Okay. So that Christmas, it was sort of like, okay, you know, you make Christmas lists or whatever. All I put on my Christmas, I, I don't care about anything. I just want the Nerf bow and arrow. So that Christmas morning, wake up. There's some presents under the tree. Open the first one, no. Open the second one, no. Open the third one, no. Oh, God. The fourth one, though, was the Nerf bow and arrow. And I played with this toy like you would not believe, like every day. It was like the, I have it, I can play with it, it's fun. It's basically just like you pull it and it shoots a, a Nerf arrow, right? 
And it was one of those like gifts as a kid that I just remember being so thankful of like, oh my gosh, I have this. This is so great. Thank you, mom and dad. You're so wonderful. I love this. It was great. It really was a great gift. But how many of you know I don't play with the Nerf bow and arrow anymore? Yeah, some of you are like, sure, sure you don't. <laughs> well played, Mikey, well played. I don't play with that. I don't even have it anymore. It was a great gift, but you know what? The best gift that my parents ever gave me was what? It's them following Jesus. Some gifts are eternal and some are not, friends. Um, we're in a season that's, that's known as Advent, Right? We're officially, it's post, it's post Thanksgiving, we're officially in Advent season, right? <clears throat> and so one of the reasons why we're pausing Matthew is where every year we tend to do like a short little Advent series leading up to Christmas. Typically, we'd have a really fancy graphic for you, but it's my fault we don't because I didn't give the team enough time to put it together. But either way, Advent, what is Advent, right? It's the weeks leading up to Christmas. It's this time where Christians all throughout the world, all throughout history, they celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that's who? Let me hear you. Yes, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the greatest gift that's ever been given to any of us, right? That word Advent, do you know what it means? It means like the coming, right? It's about the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Messiah, God fulfilling his promises. So this Advent season, it's a time every single year when Christians reflect on the beautiful reality that our Savior, our Messiah, the Christ, has come into the world to rescue sinners like you and like me. But it's not just a time of reflecting on Jesus' first coming, the first advent. It's also a time of looking ahead to the second advent, the second coming of Christ, right? That Jesus is coming again, and when he comes again, he's gonna right all the wrongs. There's so much wrong in me, around me, in you, around you. The planet's a mess. The day is coming when Christ will come again, the second advent, to make all the wrong things right, where sin and Satan and death will be no more. And all of creation will be the way that God intended it to be. You don't need me to tell you that things are jacked up. You just look around. You examine your heart. You see the brokenness around you. You turn on the news for 30 seconds, right? COVID, all the aftermath from COVID, we're still dealing with issues that ki young kids are facing, and there's just so much stuff, right? Um, politics, I don't care where you land on the spectrum, I think we can all agree there is a crisis of integrity in American politics across the board. The economy, things are kind of shaky right now. Population feels very divided. It feels like we're in a season where it's like these, like one crisis after another. It's like, oh, can we kind of like breathe for a second? I was reading something recently. It's like um, uh, travel is just skyrocketing because everyone's trying to escape. They're like, I just want to tap out for a second. One crisis after another. Today, what I want to do is I want to kind of pause what we've been talking about because I feel like God has a word for us. I want to talk about what I believe might just be the single most important crisis that we as Christians are facing. And that is a crisis of faith. Um, there's this whole movement of deconstruction happening right now. 
it's, it's not new, but I think it is uh, heightened in this season. Uh, all the statistics are saying that there's a large portion of an entire generation of young people, many of whom could care less about Christianity, just like tuned out, just cool, whatever. And, and to be honest with you, it, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me why so many young people would be like, whatever, dude, because they, they see the hypocrisy. They see it. They're not like they're they're not blind to it, right? The hypocrisy of authority figures in their life, parents, pastors, leaders, misrepresenting Jesus with their lives. You honor me with your words, but your heart is far from me. Jesus had that kind of same reaction, didn't he? So maybe it's not a sign of like immaturity with young people, maybe it's a sign of maturity. They see moral failures by leaders. They see high-profile Christian leaders with like millions of book sales and all these things renouncing their faith. If this is new to you, just so you know, like this is happening regularly. And hear me, it's not just the high-profile leaders. Um, obviously, my folks had a, a, them reorienting their life around Jesus when I was a late teen they had such a huge impact on me. But there, were, there was other people that had an influence on me as well. Um, one of the men who had a huge influence on, like leading me to Jesus, he's not a Christian anymore. The, the person, one of the people who like had a huge influence on me stepping into full-time ministry is not a Christian anymore. None of these kinds of things happen overnight, friends. They happen gradually, but hear me, they happen nonetheless. And my question that I want to explore this morning is why? Why does that happen? Why do these kinds of things happen? Like, like what causes them? Is that even possible? Like, it... Were they even a Christian in the first place? Like, why does someone who was once full of faith now kind of like apathetic or maybe even becoming hostile? And what do you do when you recognize that this crisis of faith, it's not just something that's happening out there? What do you do when you recognize, oh, it's happening in here? or even in here. That's what I want to talk about, okay? Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the words up on the screen for you. Um, we typically, I typically preach out of the CSB translation. It's the Christian Standard Bible. Really, really helpful. Um, if you have a different translation, that's fine, but it might be harder for you to follow along, so we'll have the words on the screen for you. Uh, what I want to do is I want to pray. Because I need God's help this morning, and I really want the Spirit to teach us what God has for us this morning. So while you're flipping there, will you join me in prayer? Mm. Holy Spirit, we desire you this morning. 
We desire you to point us to Jesus. We desire your help, your guidance. So I pray for humble hearts, mine especially this morning, where we look to you and your word, God, to lead us, to guide us, to shape us, to comfort us, to bless us. Would you help me to serve um, faithfully? I want to honor you, Jesus. I want to honor and love these precious men and women in this room. They belong to you. And so uh, would you help me? I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. And Spirit, teach us. Show us, please. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. We're talking about faith. Okay, Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse eight, we're gonna to go to verse 10. It says this, this is, this is uh, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, Christians in the city of Ephesus. He says this, for you, this is familiar if you've been in the church, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Get the picture, it's not from you. It is God's gift. Underline God's gift if you have a pen. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Okay, if we're gonna talk about faith, we gotta have just kind of a working definition here. So you hear me talk about faith, you hear us talk about faith often, but I wanna make sure that when I say that word that every single one of us in the room is on the same page. Okay, so let's define it really quickly. Faith is basically lived out beliefs. Okay, every single person in here, you believe things, right? You, you, you attach truth to all sorts of things. Sometimes we attra- attach truth to things that are untrue, okay? Sometimes we attach truth to things that are true. But what faith is, is it's lived out beliefs. It's, it's, it's trust that's demonstrated through action, okay? Um, if you read uh, the book of James, he talks about how faith without works is dead, He's marrying these two things. It's not your works that saves you. It's not your works that gets you faith. It's your, it's your works that demonstrates what you really trust in, okay? Says, he says that, 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 that faith is more than like belief in God, okay? He talks about how the demons believe. They acknowledge that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. They acknowledge that Jesus is God in the flesh, He's talking about something deeper. He's saying that faith is more than believing in God, it's believing God. And trusting him and acting accordingly. He's attaching these things together. So in other words, what you do reveals what you actually trust in. Your behavior reveals that with which you place your faith in. Okay? the helpful analogy is like to use the seatbelt, right? Um, you could acknowledge that seatbelts save lives, but that's not having faith in the seatbelt. Faith in the seatbelt is when you put it on. It requires action. When you act by putting the seatbelt on, you're demonstrating that your faith is actually in the seatbelt to save your life. You with me? Okay. Faith is lived out beliefs. It's trust demonstrated through action, okay? Now, in verse eight in Ephesians, one of the most profound things in the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul talks about how faith is a gift that originates from who? Let me hear you. Yes, great, from God, absolutely. 
So it's a, it, faith is a gift, and the giver of the gift is God. So it originates from him. And it talks about how there's, the reason for that is so that there's no boasting, right? That the, the, the recipient of the gift of faith, the Christian, right, trusting in God and then acting that out by obeying him, <clears throat> that that results in not in like pride and puffed upness, like, oh man, I'm just, I guess I'm just more lovable by God than other people, or I'm smarter than other people. Like, so God, no, it actually results in humility because I didn't earn this. I didn't figure out the magical equation to get God's favor. No, he just lavished me with the gracious gift of faith. So here's what I want to I make, make this really, really clear before we move forward. A person is a Christian solely based on the grace of God, period. And I don't know if you caught it, the gift of faith has a purpose here. Did you catch what it was? What's the purpose? Good works. Who said that? Handful of you. Well done. Okay, <clears throat> so hear me. The gift of faith, it has a purpose. Why? To motivate you. To motivate you to good works. That's about that bringing the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God, his way, right? <clears throat> Remember, James says, faith without works is dead. What you do reveals what you trust in. This is why Jesus, he likens faith to a seed, okay? A seed is what? It's planted and over time, it produces something. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, there's this famous parable, right, of, the, of the, the sower of the seed, the farmer who sows seeds in different kind of types of soil, if you will. Uh, I want to I paraphrase this for you just for the sake of time. Um, <clears throat> Jesus talks about how there's this farmer, and he's sowing seeds, right? And the seed lands on one of four different kind of landing spots, if you will. The first one is the seed that lands on the path. And if you remember what happens to the seed that's on, that lands on the path, the birds come in, they swoop in, and they, 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 they take the seed. They, they eat it, and they take it away. And he talks about the rocky soil, right? This is like there's a little bit of dirt, and then underneath that's all rock. And Jesus talks about how that farmer, when, the, when, he, when he sows the seed on the rocky soil, what happens is, is it sprouts up really quickly, right? The seed sprouts up really quickly, but because it's unable to put roots down, when the sun comes out, it, the heat, it burns the plant, and it withers away. And then he references the seed that's sown among the thorns and among the weeds. So you get the picture, seed sown in, in soil and there's, there's weeds with it and thorns and those kinds of things. And it's those thorns and those weeds that grow up with that plant that begin to choke that plant out. And then what's the fourth one? Do you remember? The good soil. Like the good soil that actually takes the seed in, right? The seed's planted, the seed's protected, and what happens? It says it produces 30, 60, 100 times more. So Jesus tells this parable, and his disciples are like, dude, what are you talking about? They miss it. It goes over the head. And so he explains it to them. I actually want to read this part. Um, um, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation for a moment just because I think it's really, really helpful and there's some things that are really clear here. Let's read this together, uh, starting in verse 18. Great. <clears throat> Jesus says this. He's explaining this parable to his disciples. 
He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. Verse 19, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. So they received it. The evil one comes and snatches it away like the birds, right? Verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. In other words, suffering comes, the heat of suffering, and it burns it away. Verse 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So these different types of soil, what are they? They're different people. They're different people, right? On the path, you hear what God says, you take it in, but because of a lack of understanding, Satan comes and he snatches the seed of faith away just like the birds. How would, you, or how would Satan do that? Satan's the father of what? Lies. He's a deceiver. So he tempts you to believe things that are untrue. And in so doing, that precious seed of faith, of trusting what God says, of attaching truth to God's word, that seed of faith, and he plucks it away when you exchange the truth for a lie. You with me? The rocky soil, you hear God's message, you receive the seed with faith, a seed of faith with joy. But when things get challenging, when you experience the brokenness and the effects of sin, right? When things, are, when things are painful, when things are uncomfortable, when you suffer, the seed of faith is burned away by the heat. Uh, quick note, suffering is really unique. The effects that suffering has on us as people, suffering has a way of either softening the soil of our hearts or hardening it. Softening it, opening it with Jesus, I need you, I'm open, like I need, or how dare you. Suffering is this really unique thing. That's the rocky soil. And then again, just really quickly, the among the thorns, right? The seed sown among the thorns. Those are those who, who receive the seed of faith. But other things are in competition with that seed, man. The seed of faith, is, it says it's crowded out by the worries of life and the lures of wealth. When it talks about the worries of life there, it's, it's talking about, that word there is actually cares, like the cares of life. So in other words, you just care more about other stuff. Like your focus is elsewhere. When it talks about the, the lures of wealth, that word wealth there, it's referring to material possessions. So, so in other words, the things that money can buy. What's your favorite thing to spend money on? Hear me for a second. Spending money isn't necessarily a bad thing. 
God's our provider. He's our father. One of the, one of the beautiful purposes that, uh, for, for which the, he gives you the resources he does, one of the reasons for that is for you to enjoy. So I, I'm not, how dare you spend money? This is not a condemning piece, but I want you to search your heart for a second. What do you enjoy spending money on? What's your favorite thing to spend money on? Like, what do you like to shop for? Hear me. Those things, they can lure you. They can lure you. And over time, that seed of faith is overpowered by the competition. You're just focused on other stuff. And here's the thing, friends. I told you this was heavy. What happens to a seed if it isn't cared for? If it, if it isn't protected, if it isn't nourished, what happens to it? It withers away. Among the thorns, the competition, the things that would draw your focus away from protecting and nourishing the seed, right? The worries of life, the lures of wealth. If that doesn't describe living in the suburbs, I don't know what does. This one gets to me. I've been like thinking about this and praying about this all week going like, oh Jesus, like we face some serious battles living where we live. There's unique temptation living where we live. The worries and cares of life. Tom, I got a full schedule, man. My schedule's packed. I got all these things going on. And the next thing you know, you just have less and less time for the Jesus stuff. The lures of wealth. Can I just be like honest and vulnerable with you? This one kind of, this one kind of scares me pastorally. Like, why does this scare me? Because it so accurately describes the dangers of life in the Temecula Valley. What am I going to spend my money on next? What am I going to buy next? What am I going to use my cash on next? What's the next thing? And far too often, spending money and then the busyness, the, comp- the things competing for our attention, they're in competition with protecting the seed of faith that God has graciously given to us as a gift. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that in each of these examples that Jesus gives, the different landing places for a seed of faith, the word of God, each of these examples, Jesus says the seed of faith is given graciously and it's received. It's received in all of them, okay? You remember we just, we just read Ephesians 2, right? Faith is a gift that originates from God. He's the distributor. He's the gift giver. He's the grace giver, right? Hear me. Both the giving and the receiving are a gift from God. It's grace alone so that no one can boast. There's nothing better about me than anybody else that I received that gift. It's a grace. It's a, it's a gift of grace. Receiving the seed of faith is a gift just as much as God giving it. Are you seeing this picture? It's all a gift. It's all grace. It's all his kindness. It's all his undeserved mercy. This parable, it's describing that same gift, the same gift for all four landing places but those people just treat it differently. 
So here's the thing too. I'd like to propose something to you. I'd like to propose that this isn't describing like a one-time thing. This isn't just like a one-time, God sowed a seed of faith and I received it by grace. So now, I don't think this is a one-time deal. I think it's an everyday thing. God, hear me. God is sowing seeds of faith wherever his word is mentioned. Preaching, yes. You reading your Bible, yes. You having discussions about the gospel with your gospel community. You talking about the good news of Jesus, his character traits, what he's like, what he's done. All of these beautiful truths, these beautiful realities, whenever they're uttered, it's the spirit of God sowing seeds of faith to the soils of your heart. You with me? Jesus says faith is like a seed. If it's not protected or if it's neglected, it will not produce that which God intends for it to. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, he uses another analogy for faith. A flame. Let's check it out. Matthew chapter 25. Go ahead and flip there. All right, let's read it together. I'm in the CSB. I'm back in the CSB. At that time, what are you talking about at that time? Jesus is referring to the end. Okay? He's referring to the, the end when, when God will judge the world. <laughs> Hear me. You and I will stand before the maker of heaven, of earth, heaven and earth, the one who designed you, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows the number of hairs on your head, whether they're falling out or not, like the one from who all things exist for, from, and through. Like, we're going to stand before him. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, there's the flame, and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. This is Jesus, by the way. This is Jesus speaking. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep, all of them. Verse six, in the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Picture it, the flame going out. Verse nine, the wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10, when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. Listen to this. And he, Jesus, replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. 
Whoa. Um, the parable that we just read about the sowers, right? About the sower, I should say, from Matthew 13, kind of deals with the first advent, right? The first coming of Jesus. This parable in Matthew 25, it deals with the second advent. It deals with the second coming of the Christ. And when Jesus returns, he'll return as the judge. Now, hear me. This parable, there's actually some pretty serious debate among scholars um, about this parable. Now, here's what we do know, okay? There's opinions, there's like several different opinions about, commentaries about this. Here's what we do know. We do know that in the parable, the groom is who? Jesus, right? That's clear, okay? The wedding banquet is heaven. It's eternity with God, right? And what every commentator agrees on is that the virgins are disciples, okay? They're church-going folk. And what happens here is they're divided into two groups. What were they? The wise and the foolish, right? There are those who attended the wedding banquet and those who didn't. Right? There were those who were prepared for the coming of the groom and those who weren't. Question, what separated the wise from the foolish? The oil. The oil. The oil that kept the flame of their lamp burning. Friends, faith is like a flame if you don't tend to it, if you don't feed it and fuel it, it's also like a seed. If you neglect it, if you don't protect it, <sighs> some of you, your theology is raging right now. Let me read you a quote. Stuart Weber, um, the Holman New Testament commentary says this, quote, the five foolish bridesmaids took insufficient oil with them to keep their lamps burning for the wedding procession. Although they wanted to participate in the celebration, they displayed a lack of respect for the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus, through their neglect of their responsibility to come prepared. They demonstrated their unworthiness of the honor of participating in the celebration. Listen to this. Lord Jesus, have mercy. The faithless will not enter heaven. By their lack of preparation in this life, they reveal a lack of respect for the Messiah. How a person sees Jesus is the key to his or her eternal destiny. Whoa. Hear me, the foolish ones. They didn't feed their flame. And by the time the groom arrived, their flame had gone out. Like I said, this might like really bother some of you theologically. It really bothers me. But it's biblical. 
Listen, multiple times in Matthew, the same book that we've been referencing, Jesus says this. He says, the one who endures will be saved. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus talking. He's talking to his disciples. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be, what does it say? Saved. Saved, endured. What are we talking about? What does that mean to endure to the end? Check out what the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life. He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. What does it mean to endure to the end? Check out what Paul says. End of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's like a marathon. I have what? The faith? I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing friends. At the end of his life, Paul's like, by the grace of God, I've kept it. By the grace of God, I've kept the faith. Do you know what that means? Please hear me. Do you know what that means? It means faith can also be discarded. It means faith can also be neglected. It means faith can be forfeited. So this begs the question, what do we do? Like, what do we do? How does a person keep the faith? Like, how do we protect the seed? How do we fuel the flame? What do we do? We're vulnerable. Thankfully, we have God's word and his kindness to show us. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Get ready for some comfort, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna read out of the CSB. Uh, One through three. Therefore, Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Sounds a whole lot like what we just read Paul saying, right? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our what? Yeah, baby. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You're the joy, by the way. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. I don't think we're getting this. Let me read it to you in NLT. I think this might be helpful. Same verses, different translations, same thing, same word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of what? Faith. 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse two, we do this. How do we protect the seed? How do we fuel the flame? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Other uh, translations say the author and perfecter of our faith, the originator. Faith's a gift that originates from whom? From God. Because the joy awaiting him, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse three, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Hear me, please. I've been wrestling with this for oh, like, I don't know how long, a couple months, just back and forth going like, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? Guys, giving up doesn't always look like renouncing Jesus. It doesn't always look like deconstructing your faith. Sometimes it just looks like neglecting the flame or not protecting the seed. There's just so many other things that need our attention, right? So many other things going on. So many important things. So what do we do? What if I was just like, okay, let's pray. <laughs> what do we do? How does a person keep the faith? How do we protect the seed? How do we fuel the flame? We just read it. If you're taking notes, write these down. First thing, lay aside, he says, lay aside the sin. What is he talking about? It's repentance. Okay, the lifestyle of a Christian is not one of perfection apart from Christ. <laughs> it's not you becoming like perfect in your own strength and your own effort and your own works. God created you for good works, but that's not what justifies you. Okay? The first thing, we lay aside the sin. We live a lifestyle, it's a cycle of repentance and obedience. So, Turning away from sin, recognizing sin, turning away from it and being obedient again. Recognizing sin, turning away from it and being obedient again. Recognizing sin, turning away from it and being obedient again. It's this cycle of repentance. How are you going to do that without feeling condemned all the time? That's the gospel. That's why we have the good news of who God is and what he's done and what that means for us. Jesus Christ on the cross. Not just on the cross, but his perfect life. And it's a substitutionary death in your place and in mine, the body and the blood of God himself to pay for every single one of your sins that empowers you by his grace to turn away from it. Lay aside the sin. That's the first thing, an ongoing pattern in our lives of practicing over and over and over again, repentance, identifying sin, not being condemned by it because the gospel frees us from condemnation. It actually is proof that God loves us, that in his grace he'd even waken us up to seeing it and then empowering us with his love to turn away from it and be obedient again. It's the first thing. The second thing, fix your eyes on Jesus. What, is it, what does that mean, Tom? It means fill your life with him. 
fill your entire life with Jesus. Like, fill your schedule with Jesus. Fill your mind with Jesus. Think about him. Read about him. Talk about him. Talk to him. A life oriented around him. If you're anything like me, it's so easy for my schedule to get filled with all these other things. The cares and the worries of life. And the next thing I know, there's no space in my schedule for the Jesus stuff. And when I say the Jesus stuff, I mean unity with him. I mean communion with God. I mean friendship. Because if you don't, your seed is vulnerable. Your flame is vulnerable. All right, I'll close with this. Um, I'm gonna call the band up if you guys would come up. Um, if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you kind of start to make your way to the side of the room? You guys still with me? Love you, Parker. Parker's with me. Parker's got my back. All right, faith. Faith is a seed. If it's not protected and nourished, it can wither away. Faith is a flame that needs to be fed if it's going to be kept until the end. Please hear me. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to empower you. If you're in Christ, you have, the power, you have God living inside of you. <laughs> man, oh man. Who's stronger, God or his enemies? Christy believes it. Read the Old Testament. Whew. God's enemies have no shot. The living God is in you. But hear me, there is an enemy and he's cunning, man. He's very covert. He's kind of like under the radar. He's not as obvious as you think he is. But hear me, he's actively trying to get that flame to burn out. He's trying to snuff out your, the flame of your faith that's in you. By the grace of God, it's been given and received. He's trying to snuff it out. He's trying to destroy your seed. Hear me, though, too. Faith, we see this in the parable of the, of the, of the ten versions. Faith is not something you can borrow from somebody else. Youth, can I just talk to you for a second? Can I, can I talk to you for a second? I, I care about you so much. Please hear me. You cannot borrow your parents' faith. You can't. You can't borrow your friend's faith, your neighbor's faith. You're going to stand before God like the rest of us. And what he's going to say to all of us is one of two things. He's going to say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. The perfection of Christ is on you. You've received the gift of faith. You've, you've, you've kept the flame alive. You've, you've, you've protected the seed. Or he's going to say, depart from me. I, I, I don't know you. This isn't a game, friends. I can't in good conscience get up here, read the Bible and go, here's some fun stuff to think about. Like, Jesus is, an ex is not an accessory. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, man. Hear me, faith is a gracious gift that originates from God. But hear me, it's up to you and I what we do with it. 
God has given us agency. He, he will not force you to love him. He will not force you to obey him. But you know what he will do? He will graciously open his arms and invite you every moment of your life. Come. Come, receive grace and mercy. Come, come receive forgiveness. Come receive eternal life. Not just in the days to come, but now. Friends, at the end of our lives, we will stand before God, man, and he will judge us not based on whether we received that seed of faith one time. He will judge us based on what we did with it. There's more parables I could get into. I just don't have time. So here's my question for you. This is the question that I've been like wrestling with over and over and over again these last couple weeks. What's the condition of your seed? What's the condition of your flame? Remember, the purpose of the gift of faith is to motivate you. It's to motivate you to good works. You know what that means? It means you living out your purpose. Do you have any idea how much dignity you have as a human being created in the image of Almighty God? You have a purpose that no other created being in all of history has. has. Do you realize that? How spectacular the Father's love for us. Good night. But what you and I do reveals what we trust in. Our behavior reveals what we've placed our faith in. It reveals the condition of the seed. It reveals the condition of the flame. Is your flame, is your seed, is it producing in thing, or is it producing things in you and producing things through you? Is it producing a pattern of repentance and obedience? That cycle, that ongoing cycle, that's maturity for a Christian, to be honest. I was praying for us because I really wanted this to like, I really wanted this to not just be something that God was doing in me that I'm sharing with you. I want it, I feel like it's, I feel like it's personal. God always, he always gives revelation so that it would not just come to us, but it would go through us. He wants to sow seeds of truth all over the earth. And I was praying and I felt like there was a handful of things um, where there's like a, a pattern of disobedience happening in some of our lives that God wants to lovingly free us from. The scriptures talk about how we can become slaves to sin. God desires your salvation, baby. He wants you free from that. And here's what stood out to me. I feel, and I'm guilty of all this. Uh, I felt like God was saying that some of us were, were not obeying him with our words. And the sense that I got was that it wasn't so much what you say, it was how you say it. Your tone, your disposition, your heart. Uh, I felt like God said there's some of us that we're not obeying him with our resources, our time, and our money. Several years ago, uh, I was like in a season where like, God, I just want more of you. Like, I really genuinely have a hunger for you. I want you. And I felt like he said to me, I felt like he said, um, it's wonderful that you tithe your money. How about you tithe your time? How about you give me, just, ten, just start somewhere. How about you just give me 10% of your day? 
How many of you know he wants way more than 10% of us? He, he, he wants all of you. He wants the whole thing. Another thing that I feel like the Spirit was highlighting is that some of us were, were in this pattern of disobe- disobeying God with our bodies. Can I give you some good news? If you're in that season where you're recognizing spirits going, okay, there's some patterns of disobedience. Can I I share some good news with you? You can obey him. You can. You can start new. You can start fresh. The gospel of Jesus Christ empowers every single one of us to step forward with a clean slate blood of Jesus cleansing all unrighteousness 20 times a day baby like all the time think of the freedom that you and I could experience with that the gracious gift of repentance I hope that we can connect those dots repentance is a gracious gift he he enables us and empowers us to do that my goal this morning honestly was to till the soil of your heart in a similar fashion to the way that God's been tilling the soil of my heart. And there's something about like the hard ground. The Bible talks about hardness of heart, you know? It's referring to pride. But man, that soft soil, tilled, that tilled ground, it's the perfect condition for the gospel. It's the perfect condition for that seed of faith to get planted, to get protected, to get nurtured, to get valued and to grow and to produce 30, 60, 100 times more. It's the kingdom of God. What if this Christmas season, God did something spectacular in us? What if this Christmas season was like a turning point in your life? What if it was a, what if it was a turning point where, where you got really serious about guarding and protecting your faith? I mean, like really serious about it. What if, what if you got really serious about pursuing a lifestyle of repentance? Every day you're like, my goal today is to identify where I can repent and experience freedom. What if it was a turning point in your life where you you're reoriented your life around Jesus, fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith so that we won't grow weary and give up, so that our flame doesn't blow out strong and it burns bright so much so that other people see us they experience it and they experience him let's pray There's no match. There's no match to you. You're you're, you're holy, 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 holy. There's nobody like you, God. The ways that you demonstrate your love on a consistent basis is absolutely bonkers. I pray that you would till the soil of our heart 
that we wouldn't be people who just kind of coast through life trying to maintain comfort, that we wouldn't get sucked into the lures of that suburban life. We're so just consumed with the concerns and the worries of life and we're lured by well, the, the lures of wealth. Like, God, I pray that you would make us a different people, a set-apart people who are diligent about practicing gratitude for the grace that you've given, the, the gracious gift that seed of faith is. You've empowered, you've, you've not only grace, been gracious to give it to us, you've been gracious to enable and empower us to receive it. And I pray that you would continue to pour out grace on us so that we can protect it and fuel it and nourish it. So that at the end of our lives, we could stand before you and just and encounter the smile on your face that's so undeserved but so glorious and that we would enter into eternity with you the way things are supposed to be. No more crisis. No more crisis but comfort. Lord Jesus, be the Lord of every single area of our life. I pray that you would honor even the people in this room right now. I feel like you want me to say this, like that you honor. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Like I have faith, but I recognize this lack of faith. God, you honor that. You're patient and you're kind. And I pray that you would produce something in us that would result in more of your kingdom coming. I love you, Jesus, so much. There's nobody like you. Amen. Friends, will you stand if you're able? We have about 15 to 20 minutes left in our gathering. What we're going to do now is we're going to collectively and individually, this is a time for us to respond to God. This is a time for us to press into him. This is a time for us to offer him praise because he's so worthy of it. He's worthy of you praising him with your voice. He's worthy of you praising him with, with your body. There are Hebrew words that are translated praise that literally just mean you using your body in various meat, various ways to offer and deliver him praise that which he is due. So this is a time of delivering him praise. This is a time where some of you, God, he, he wants to do something in you. Some of these things, the recognizing areas of disobedience, some of you need to be freed from that. Some of you need to experience his forgiveness in a fresh way that, that that flame inside of you gets ignited once again. Some of you need to experience and encounter the living God. Uh, there's trusted men and women off to the side. They have a landed. They'd love to pray for you. You can go over there at any time. You don't need permission. Just make your way over there. Praise, prayer, gratitude, thanksgiving. This is a time for us to corporately respond to the goodness, to the grace of our God. So we're going to do that for 15, 20 minutes. And then Herrick's going to pastor us at the end. He's going to close us, okay? I love you guys very much. Grateful to be on this journey with you. Let's enjoy him, okay? I want to thank you, Father, that you've sent your son for us because we needed a Savior. I thank you that right where we need, where our need is greatest, you have provided most abundantly in your son. Thank you that he came to deal with sin, not just to forgive us, but also to redeem us and restore us and renew us and make us new people. I pray that you would help us to receive this charge to walk in this newness of life that you have provided to protect and to keep that flame of faith. 
with your resources. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. I want to just re... Protect, don't neglect. Protect, don't neglect. Protect the seed, don't neglect it. Protect the flame, don't neglect it. Uh, Tom mentioned a few things. I want to restate them very briefly to invite you to go get prayer. There's men and women up here on the side that would love to pray for you. Safe people who love Jesus and care about you and have been praying for you from even before the time you set foot in this building. Tom mentioned a few things, maybe areas that need attention in our discipleship. Our tone, sometimes our disposition, our heart, you kind of know like it's not about necessarily what you're saying, but how. There's also the reality of resources, our time, our finances, but also our, just our time, like holding on to those, and our body. If you feel like those are areas where you need healing, I want to invite you to go get prayer in any of those areas. And I had this, this, this verse that came across my mind like about how we are God's temple. If, 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 if the idea of like honoring God with your body has been an issue, I want you to know Jesus honored you with his body. He sacrificed his, whole, his body for you. He was willing to be shamed on a cross in front of people naked, bloodied, bruised, so that you might be covered. Get covered up today. That's you. I want to add a couple more things quickly. I think there's, a, there's three hindrances I want to briefly mention. I don't, I don't have a lot of time, but one is defeatism, this idea that things will never change. Things will never change. Tom talked about lies, how the enemy uses that to steal the seed. You might believe today, a lie that you might believe is that things that will never change. And it actually unexpectedly produces this crazy comfort in sin. Just makes us really comfortable. And this, is, this lie is actually true if you are Lord and he is not. Things will never change if it's up to you. And if you're processing life from within your own resources. But if you are processing life with Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus and drawing on his resources, you can't change. So if defeatism is an issue for you, a lie that you believe, I want to invite you to go to prayer. Woundedness. So many of us carry wounds. And Lisa had a sense. Actually, Lisa, would you mind coming up here really quick just to share what you had to say, what you shared with me, uh, with the church? Again, these are, all, these are all, I think, invitations to respond, if these resonate with you. Yeah, I just had the word uh, dislocation. Um, and I feel like there is possibly somebody who, um, or multiple people who have an old wound uh, that hasn't healed correctly and that the Lord may need to re-break it so that it can heal properly. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. That's out of Hebrews. Part of the other part of the passage that Tom read today about a great cloud of witnesses and laying aside every sin that might trip us up. God wants to heal you today if that resonates with you. If he loves you. Last, well, not, last but definitely not least is apathy. And I just want to leave you with this thought. He was not apathetic towards you. 
No apathy ever sent someone to a cross on behalf of sinners. Don't let these things trip you up, church. Protect, don't neglect. If any of this resonated with you or you just generally know something's happening to me, I don't know what that is. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's the best place to be in. I've had a few moments like that the last couple of weeks. Like, I don't know what's happening to me, but I think it's good. I need to do something with this. Like, go get, go get prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus gave up his entire life to cleanse a bride, to be spotless for her wedding day. Thank you that what you desire for us is a life of adventure, a life of purity, and a life that will end in a giant eternal celebration. This is not a downer. This is a crazy gracious invitation. Let us lay aside anything that could get in the way of us receiving that by faith, true faith trust. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. It's 12 o'clock. If you've got kids, can you please go grab them? If you need prayer though, there's going to be prayer available. Please go get it. Enjoy your Sunday. Uptown, we love you. Thank you for visiting with us.